Let me hit record on that before I forget. That is good. And Richie, whenever you're ready, man, let's uh, let's rocky roll. All right. So we're just gonna. You want me to start now before and then? Okay, sounds good. Yeah. Here we go. Let's jump straight in. This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Hola, Mary Goulet. How are you? Hello. Richie Ote, what's up, my brother? How you doing? How you doing? Doing excellent. How about so? Good, good. Good job on the uh, on the control board over there, my friend. And we are hanging out here on a lovely day. All three of us in uh, San Diego and our guest is just up the road in uh, in Venice. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll bring Marissa on here in, in just a second. But I um, haven't talked to you guys for, for a minute. So I just want to do a quick uh a quick check-in and, and see how see how things are going. How are you? How are you feeling, Mary? What's going on? Pretty good. Um, same old, same old. I'm kind of getting tired of this, though. I'd like to have a little more freedom to go out into the world. <laughs> really, like to go to a restaurant one day. Yeah. Have you been doing like any uh, takeout or pickup or like any of that? Have you been doing any of that? No. Just no. going to the store and getting steaks or whatever. Yeah. yeah. All right, Richie, how uh, how you doing? How are the kids? How's the uh, how's little and hanging in there? Going stir crazy, Marissa? You're good. Just come in, hang out. We're just chatting for right now, and uh, bring you on in a second. But Richie, how uh, how's the little and doing? And how, how's the fam? It's been fantastic. You know, we're just involving her more and more, and she's just learning to be the little leader. She's on her way to be. You know, she's seven and she's dealing with it like a champ. It's yeah. been, you know, it's in some strange way. I mean, I'm so extroverted anyway, that this has been a blessing for our family. Like we're just we're sitting down, having more meals together. We're doing, we're just, we're just mixing it up. We're using it as an opportunity to learn more about yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have an opportunity to learn a lot more about ourselves today. <laughs> so this will be uh, this will be a very interesting conversation and I actually uh, you know just out of out of respect for her time and joining us here uh, live today I want to make sure we bring on uh, Marissa just as quickly as possible so we've got Marissa Peer hanging out with us Marissa you want to try uh, just double check your mic let's make sure we're good to go on all that yeah hi how how is everybody I'm hey. thrilled to be here yeah good well it's good having you here on Reinvention Radio, and uh, we decided we were going to be reinventing peace today. That's uh, that is the the title we came up for this one. So there's uh, there, there's there's external peace and there's internal peace and all that fun stuff. And uh, I know you can help us quite a bit for those uh, who are unfamiliar with Marissa and and her work. Uh, multiple, uh, I mean, just amazing books. Um, amazing videos, you know, world renowned. I mean, her reputation uh, is uh, is one that, frankly, um, when when you said you'd like to join us here, um, I, I was thrilled and honored and humbled, as as I know Marion and Rich are uh, as well, because you are. Um, one of the, the the world's leading therapists. I mean, Britain, you were voted number one therapist in Britain. You've worked with, I mean, you name it, from Olympic athletes to royal families to celebrities and sports. I mean, across the board. Uh, and so we're we're really honored, really humbled uh, to have you here join us joining us today. So thank you for for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. So let, let me ask you a question, and um, I'm not sure if you had a chance to listen to the show or not, but um, if you haven't, I, uh, I tend to kind of go right at it right away, and uh, no better time than the present. And so let's, uh, you know, let, let's, let's jump into things here. Let me ask you this, and, and it's an interesting uh, discussion around, uh, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, payoff. And this is, this is a conversation that you've had um, numerous times with numerous people uh, over the years, just in terms of why people do what they do and what the payoff is. 
that usually sits behind why people take certain actions and why they do what they do. Um, given everything that you've accomplished in your career and everything that you're uh, able to do, literally, I mean, just with the push of a button, the click of a mouse, what, what's the payoff for you to, to do this type of, of show in terms of another, another podcast, as an, as an example here? Well, you know, most people would love to change the world, but that's a really big ask, changing the world. I just love changing people. That's my passion. It's my hobby. It's my full-time career. It's what I've done my whole life. And I particularly love the fact that changing people is easy. We're all told, oh, you know, the brain is so complicated. It takes such a long time to master it, and it takes even longer to change it. And none of that is true. Change can be immediate. It can take a few minutes. And so my big thing has always been showing people, look, if you want to change, you can change now. And the things that we're doing to change, you may seem very simple and almost easy, but the, the effect they have is out of all proportion to the time invested to bring them about. So I love making things easy, accessible, but also life-changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you, and we'll, we'll just kind of round robin this and, you know, Mary Rich obviously just jump in uh, whenever you like. Um, you've got a pretty interesting background in terms of the trainings and the certifications and the knowledge and expertise and so on that you've acquired over the years. Um, hypnotism being, being one of those things. Um, talk, talk a little bit about how, hypnotism plays into uh, our own personal lives in terms of necessarily how as a hypnotist you can hypnotize others to do things but I almost feel like we have the ability to hypnotize ourselves into doing things that perhaps we're afraid to do or don't want to do or are nervous about doing and make those real changes literally through that self-hypnosis. Can, can you talk about self-hypnosis as it relates to accomplishing our goals and objectives? Yeah, I mean, we get hypnotized every day. Every time you're on the radio, you're hypnotized. I mean, I know in America, 20 years ago, the study said you are asked to eat junk food 400 times a day. So if you go to the cinema, if you flick through a magazine on your computer, you're getting hypnotized because selling is a form of hypnosis, making you think you want something. Uh, we're hypnotized when we drive home from work and we drive home on autopilot. Oh, I didn't even notice where I went or what I was doing. But self-hypnosis is extraordinary. I know I had my daughter using self-hypnosis. I didn't want to use any drugs. I've had some minor surgery and a root canal using hypnosis. And hypnosis is wonderful because we all have these amazing brains and we're all led to believe that, you know, we're at the mercy of our mind where it should be the other way around your mind should certainly work for you rather than you working for it. So the simple form of self-hypnosis, we imagine you've got to give a presentation and you're about to go up and stand in front of an audience and you start to feel that adrenaline. You think, oh my God, I'm so nervous. I'm terrified. I wish I hadn't offered to do this. And now my mind's gone blank and I, I'm really scared. You're giving yourself words. Self-hypnosis would be something as simple as saying, I love this. I'm doing this. This is amazing. I'm ready. I can't wait. I know what to say. It's going to flow out of me. And I've never felt more comfortable here in my entire life than I feel this minute going on stage. The thing is, you might say that's a lie. But when you say, oh, my God, I'm dying, you know, we, call, we, we talk about when a comedian doesn't pull it, you've just died on stage. So we lie anyway. I'm terrified. I'm losing it. I'm... It, this is a nightmare. I'm freaking out. I'm losing my shit. They're all lies. So why not tell yourself a better lie and say, I've never felt more ready in my entire life than to go on stage right now. I'm awesome. I'm phenomenal. I've got a great memory. I love this audience. I know they love me. Because it's really about what I call telling yourself a better lie. When you get into bed at night, you could go, I'm not going to sleep now. I've got so much to worry about. And did I turn the oven off? And I'm not sure I paid my credit card bill. And I ate too much cake today. Now, now I'm going to wake up a pound heavier. I'm sure I'm, overnight I'm going to be the size of a house. I mean, we say these crazy things. 
But you can get in bed and go, right, sleep is coming to me right now. My eyes are closing. I'm drifting off. I'm going into this great place. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. It's a new day, and I'm going to fix all my issues. And whatever the problem is in my head, I'll, I'll resolve that while I'm sleeping. Because the thing is, your mind has no choice at all. It must react to the words you use. But you have a choice every minute to make better words. When we say... I'm dying of fatigue. I've got a chronic pain. I'm just dying of exhaustion. Uh, I, I'm the size of a house. I'm eating like an out of control pig. It's just strange the way we talk to ourselves. None, none of that's true. So you might as well say something else that you think isn't true that's better because that's what hypnosis is. When you go to do something, going on a date, you can say, I'm lovable, I'm amazing, I'm magnetic. Going for an interview, I'm powerful and head and shoulders above the other people applying for this job. I'm going to stand out. This job has got my name all over it. Mm. Whatever you say, it, you make it real. And since we know that to be true, I'm always surprised. I'm, maybe we'll say negative things rather than positive things. When we know that every thought we think and every word we say is a blueprint that the mind and body work to make real. They don't stop to think, is this a good blueprint or a negative one, a positive one or a useless one? They just work to make them real. Mm. Yeah, really well said. Richie, sure. Yeah, it's super interesting just to hear the way you use your words so eloquently and you fly through the next positive comment to the next positive comment because sometimes I feel like if someone's saying to themselves something they don't believe, if they say it too fast or excuse me, too slow, it gives time for that. No, that I don't believe this. This isn't true. But if you just keep powering through and saying the next positive thing, it's almost like the analogy used earlier with the uh, marketing. It, you just, if you hear it enough and you say it enough, you just start to believe it to be true. And having a child, you'll know that they start to finish sentences like McDonald's or whatever the advert is on TV. You'll find that they, they finish that because the mind learns by repetition. And funnily enough, I learned this when I was actually having a baby. Um, I was told from being 18 that I would never be able to have a, get pregnant or indeed carry a child to full term. And I had all these words like unexplained infertility, um, I think there's a word they use that means grossly too old to have a baby, which they tell you that when you're 30. So I think when I was 30, they told me I had gross something. It means far too old to get pregnant. Mm. And um, I always found these words rather interesting. Anyway, I got pregnant really easily, straight away, actually. And then, then I went into the next phase. Well, you'll never carry this baby to full term, you know, and everything's going to be wrong with it. And it's already underway. In fact, my daughter was born at seven and a half pounds. She was perfect. But then... Before her birth, I really understood. So I went to have to talk about my birth plan. They said, what are you doing? I said, hypnosis. I went, hypnosis? Are you mad? Do you know giving birth is like sitting on a stove with the um, gas ring switched on? I'm like, no, I've never heard that before. Yes, it's very painful. And you can't possibly do this in hypnosis. And all this stuff they told me. Anyway, I ignored that. And I had a perfect baby. And in England, when you have a baby, you tend to stay in hospital for four days. You have a ward rather than a private room. And I was on the ward the next day, and they, they were wheeling around Kleenex. I said, what's that? They went, it's for the postnatal depression. Everybody gets that on day three. I said, oh, no, um, I've actually signed up for postnatal euphoria. I'm not doing postnatal depression. I could see them, oh, this, this one's had... This is, a, this is a weird one. I said, I, I'm not doing postnatal depression. I, I'm only doing postnatal. After all, I was told I could never have this baby. And now I've got her. She's my nonstop joy. And um, I'm having postnatal euphoria. And they kept telling me over and over again, I must expect this depression, that it was on its way, that everyone had it. Nothing to be upset or embarrassed. In the end, I said, you know what? I, I'm going to go home. I just, I just don't need this. The ward's really going to be a sea of weeping and wailing. I get that at work every day. So I just picked up my baby, packed my stuff, and went home. And I had a wonderful time. But I was really aware then of the negative language. They would call me, go, are you exhausted? No. 
Are you like crying with tiredness? No, babies sleep all the time. I'm having the time of my life. It was amazing. Uh, but it's really hard to lose all that weight. It must be super bad. I'm like, no, I know you're going to hate me, but I put my Levi's on the next day and they fit. But then I told myself they weren't. And so we, we've kind of sold the whole modern world, all these crazy lies. Oh, your kids drive you mad. Um, the commute's killing me. My boss is, makes me want to jump off a bridge. My husband makes me crazy with his messiness. And it's like, wow, you know, you need to go somewhere like downtown Mexico or Africa or downtown Jamaica to think that you're so lucky to have a house and a car and a commute and a job. And yet we complain about these things all the time. And I would say to all my clients, look, Take a breath and ask yourself this question. Who in the world would switch place with you tomorrow? You're a husband that leaves his pants on the floor, a kid that leaves peanut butter marks on the kitchen counter. Your problem is someone else's fantasy dream come true. They'd give anything to have peanut butter marks all over the house. They're just spending $20,000 on IVF and it's not going to work. Mm. They have a husband that leaves his underwear on the floor. And, you know, we, we've kind of got into this culture of complaining, but not just complaining, saying that it's killing me, it's driving me mad. I'm at the end of my rub, I'm at my maximum bandwidth. And now with this situation, people say, I'm, I'm in quarantine. I'm like, no, you're not in quarantine. Quarantine, you can't leave. I'm, I'm in lockdown. I don't think anyone is locked down. I'm kept up in my house. I'm shut in. I, I have no freedom. And, you know, Nelson Mandela took that for 27 years. He really didn't have any freedom except the freedom to decide what he thought about it. He thought, I'll come out of here the, the president of this country, so I'm going to take it. But I, I don't know where we've learned to be so super negative, but I'm really keen mm -hmm. to help people, especially schools, stop that. Yeah. Mary? Okay, so I love this stuff. Um, when I was pregnant with my first daughter, I decided to home birth, but I had this underlying fear about it. So I don't even know what I was saying to myself and it was okay. But when I got my second daughter, I treated it like a pregnancy marathon and it was super easy. Um, I didn't gain much weight. The birth was beautiful and easy. And so how do you help people hear themselves because we're so habitual. We have like a signature vocabulary that we use all the time. We don't even hear ourselves. How do you help people hear just the mundane stuff we say to, about ourselves to ourselves every day? And you know, you are so correct because we tend to use the same 12 words over and over again. So ask your friends, your partner, any, what, do I, what, do I, what words do I use a lot? Like recently I was working with a girl who's got a fear of speaking in public and she kept saying, I'm losing my shit. And I said, you know, that's such a stupid expression. You're not gonna do that when you go on stage. Why would you say that word? It's so unattractive, it's so horribly descriptive. And it's a complete lie. That's probably never happened to you since you were one year old. One year old, why would you say that? <laughs> so ask yourself which words you use. I was working with an actress, a supermodel actually, who just got a, a contract, a big contract. She said, it's terrifying. I've just got this contract for, I'm gonna say Laurie, but it wasn't L'Oreal. She said, and you know, well, I, when I get on a plane, guys hit on me, that's terrifying. And if I walk down the street, we'll run up and ask for my autograph, it's terrifying. I'm like, why did you decide all of that is terrifying? It might be annoying sometimes and exhilarating others. You've got a contract for a major makeup house that's paying you millions of dollars. I don't get the terror bit. And she said, oh, I don't mean it. I said, no, I know, but you see your mind when you use these words, your, your experience is formed by the words you use. That's why if you're at a fun fair and you're screaming with pleasure or excitement, it very much depends on what you're saying. And so you need to ask yourself, let me listen to myself. What am I doing? The other day I was lying on the sofa and I was about to say, God, I've got such extreme fatigue. And I thought, where did that come from? Hmm. I'm just a little bit tired. I don't have extreme fatigue. I've probably never had that in my entire life. It's like the words we say, I'm starving. 
Very few people in the Western world have ever, ever experienced starvation. The ones that have probably chose it because they were fasting. Mm. You say that I'm starving, I could eat a horse. Um, oh, I'm so hungry, I, I could die. And just ask yourself, what word do you use? Because you use the same ones over and over again, they start to change them. And just find the opposite. If I'm saying I'm absolutely shattered, what would be a minimum? How could you minimize that? Well, I'm a little bit tired. I've got this thundering headache that's killing me. I've got a pain in my head. Maybe I'm dehydrated, but it'll be gone in a couple of hours. I'm dying of exhaustion. Actually, it's midnight and I've probably about time to go and get some sleep and recharge myself like a battery. So look at your words with fascination, even write them out, record yourself. If you want to just put your phone on and notice you having a conversation with a friend and how much you say there was hell, nightmare, disaster, terror, killing me, driving me crazy, losing my mind. And then when you've played it back and think, hmm, I can stop saying that word and replace it with a better word. You know, um, it's like, People, when builders come to us and go, this is a nightmare, this is a disaster. Mm. Rather than going, well, this is a challenge. This is interesting. So mm -hmm. if the words are, po are very powerful for something silly, change them. You want to keep those powerful words for something amazing. Yeah. So great point. Let, let's talk about then this particular moment in time. Um, and we're not saying lockdown and we're not saying quarantine. We'll use other words just in terms of these, these challenging moments or these interesting moments of opportunity, right? Great. You've got it all yes. right. So in these interesting moments of opportunity, um, what, what, why is it then that you believe some people uh, are thriving, having the time of, of their lives? And are there particular mantras or things that we can say to ourselves when any sort of anxiety or overwhelm or concern comes into play, whether, whether real or um, sort of, I don't want to say imaginary, but, you know, created, so to speak. Yeah. Well, first of all, events don't affect you almost at all. It's the meaning you attach to an event. An event won't affect you, but the interpretation will. So, and we're seeing that now more than ever. People say, oh, I love being at home. Somebody said to me recently, I've, I've, I'm going back to work next week and I'm dreading it. I've just had the best time at home with my kids. I hate my job. So getting furloughed has been amazing for me. I've been at home on my salary. So an event will not affect you, an illness, uh, whatever is going on, it doesn't affect you. The weather doesn't affect you. Your weight doesn't affect you, but the meaning you attach to it really, really affects you. And so your job is to change the meaning. And the people who are going through this being safe at home situation and loving it have got a different meaning. Wow, I'm on full pay, I'm at home. I've always wanted time to myself. I'm homeschooling my kids, we're cook cooking together. I'm learning all this stuff on YouTube, I'm reading all the books, I'm working out at home, and they're doing well. And the other half are like, oh my God, this is hell. And I miss, you know, going to the gym, I miss swimming, I miss my friends, which is understandable. And then there are some people who say, this is an apocalypse, this is like the end, this is like Armageddon. And mm. what if it happens all again and the whole world's going bankrupt and this is deliberate, it was all made by, someone and they're going to put tracking devices in our bodies with that vaccination and so they're having a really bad time because they're telling themselves bad things and you know you have a choice your mind can't choose but to react to the words you use but you choose so i say i'm safe at home and i might say it's a little challenging it's a little frustrating sometimes i certainly miss people but there are other things that are quite good about it. I definitely miss my daughter because she's in London and I'm here. But you see the human mind, there are three things you really have to factor in while we're in this situation of being at home. One is that our driving need is for certainty. We need certainty. We saw this at 9-11, we saw it with SARS. We saw it with the AIDS epidemic. Oh my God, everything I thought I knew is gone. Life will never be the same. Dating will never be the same. Traveling will never be the same. But actually, it did go back to the same. But in uncertain times, 
we actually saw that when Trump was, I'm, I'm leaving the country. If he gets in, I'm going to live in Canada. And yet they didn't. It, it, it was okay. So when you're living in a world of uncertainty, you need certainty. And you have to give yourself the certainty. Okay, I don't know what's happening with my job. I'm the same mother, same father, same husband, wife, same, same person. And I've got a skill and I will find another job because the top 20% in every classification, in every field, are always employed. So give yourself as much certainty as you can in an uncertain world. The second thing about humans is that we do not like change unless it's changed for the better. We don't like getting old. We don't like illness because it's normally not change for the better. But when you can, in any change, find something good about it, even if it's a tiny thing, then you are now seeing that change as partly a change for the better, and then you won't fear it. And finally, humans react very badly to loss. We react three times more to loss than to gain. And so whenever you're in a situation where you're talking about the loss, I've lost my freedom, I've lost my independence, I've lost my job, I've lost my life, I'm losing my mind, cooped up in this apartment with three kids and no garden, you have to find a little tiny gain somewhere so you don't focus on loss. If you do those three things, you'll find that you cope better. And actually a very good thing to tell yourself every day is I have phenomenal coping skills. I have amazing mm. coping skills because whatever you tell your mind, it does everything it can to make that real. So telling yourself you have impressive coping skills it's a great thing to say, because if you say it enough, it actually becomes real. Yeah. Rich, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to dominate here. I'll try to keep it going round and round on the screen that I'm seeing here anyway. Yeah, no, this, this is great. Um, so I had a question. I saw you on today's show and you were talking about your book, I am enough. And I've, I've always loved that phrase, but at this, but at the same time, it's interesting. It reminds me of the live in the now, but we know there's also going to be a future and we're, we're human beings that like to expand. And where's that balancing act and what is the vernacular you use for you are enough, but you're ever expanding and you want to work on things and you want to learn new things, but yet I'm enough right now. I don't have to necessarily do any of that. Can yeah, you speak a, on that? It's a great question and it comes up a lot because people say, surely if I think I'm enough, I'm going to lie on the sofa eating Krispy Kreme donuts and not do anything. Actually, quite the opposite. When you think you're not enough, it paralyzes you. I'm not enough and I'll never find a relationship. I might as well stay in this bad relationship. I'm not enough and I'll never get a promotion, so I just stay where I am. I'm not enough and so why risk asking for more? When you know you're enough, you suddenly think, you know what, I, I don't have to put up with this. I don't have to be with someone who diminishes me or hits me. Why would I put up with that? I, I deserve more. I'm enough and I've been in this job for seven years and I think I'm gonna go and talk to my boss about a promotion because I deserve it. So when you think you're not enough, you do want more, so much more, but you don't know how to get it. And people who feel not enough, tend to hoard, tend to shop a lot, tend to eat a lot, drink a lot, tend to be very needy because they need more. I need more praise, more drugs, more pain meds, more alcohol, more donuts, more because I'm not enough. When you know you are enough, you don't need more. You're not needy, but you have a, a great sense of worthiness. You can go out into the world and say, I deserve this. I'm worth this. You know, 70% of lottery winners go completely bankrupt in three years because if you have a belief that says, I'm not worth it, you'll get rid of it. People go into a relation and think, mm, I don't really deserve this love. I, I fake this. This person's too good for me. And then they sabotage it. I don't really deserve these accolades. And we see people like Robert Downey Jr. was one. Heath Ledger was another who have so much but get rid of it all because of the feeling of Amy Winehouse too, I'm not worth it. So people get rid of money if they feel not worth it. They get rid of love. People say, who get rid of love? Well, if love is unfamiliar, 
and wealth is unreal, you will indeed reject it, run away from it, sabotage it, because our mind only wants us to stay with what is familiar and to run away from what's unfamiliar. That's, that's a fact. We are wired to stay with what's familiar and avoid what is unfamiliar. But, so, but when you can make I'm enough familiar, it opens so many doors. It allows you to go after your potential. And it's a really good thing to do. I was watching X Factor in England many years ago, and this guy called Will Young came on, and he sang a song, and Simon said, that wasn't very good. And he went, Simon, you could never say that wasn't good. That was amazing. And Simon went, do you know what, Will, you're right. It was really amazing. What was, I think, I thought, that guy has got confidence to take on Simon Cowell and to change his mind like that. And when um, Celine Dion sent her first old cassette tape to Sony, how long ago was that? And they said, she said, she called it, have you played this? And we didn't like it. She said, you haven't played it, have you? She said, if you played my song, you would never say you don't like it. You would sign me up. And they were so shocked by her confidence. They pulled it out of the bin, played it and signed her. And of course she made history. But you have to have enoughness to say that, look, clearly you haven't listened to my song. Clearly you don't know me or you would never say that if you knew me you'd recognize that I'm good at my job, a good person, worthy of love. And if only we could put that in our children, because enough doesn't mean I'm better than you or you're better than me. It means I am the best me I could be and I'm worth it. You know, children who get bullied, they, bullies don't pick on confident children. They pick on the ones who don't really believe in themselves because of course the bully isn't a confident child. And we really should start this at a very, very young age to help kids not have to be the victim of bullying. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good stuff. Let me just jump in here then real quick. Is there, if you have that sense of enoughness though, how, how does that play against complacency? Because, you know, there's, there's greed and there's ambition and there's a fine line between the two and having a sense of enoughness versus still having aspirations and goals and objectives. How, how do you balance well, I think that when dynamic? Happiness, you have what I call the bounce back factor. So there are people who invent a product, maybe they go on Shark Tank and Shark Tank says, we hate your product, it's never going anywhere. If you didn't feel good enough, you just go home and put that whole thing in the bin. If you knew you were enough, you'd say, okay, I'll, I'll find someone else. Thank you so much. I don't agree with you, but I'm, I appreciate it. And off you go. And Meryl Street, many years ago, was auditioning for King Kong for the part that went to Jessica Lang. And the casting agent said, Meryl, you're just not beautiful. You'll never make it in the world of acting. Go away and find something else. And she said, that's one opinion in a sea of opinions. I think I'll go away and get another opinion. And thank goodness she did, because she is beautiful, and even if she wasn't. Beauty is only one, that doesn't make you a great actress, that makes you a great model. But you see, the people who bounce back, they hear no, they hear rejection, they door shut in their face, but when you know you're enough, you open that door, you go and get another opinion. When you think you're not enough, you go, oh, okay, people don't want me, and you give up. And because the most important opinion is yours. So the I'm enoughness doesn't make you complacent. It makes you bulletproof. Mm -hmm. Bulletproof isn't, isn't arrogance. You see, if this was a sliding scale, here's arrogant. I'm super arrogant. I think I'm great. I when I'm great. And here's the other end. I'm desperately insecure. And I just never ask for anything. And in the middle is what I call honoring yourself. Honoring yourself is the most important thing, believing in you, because we believe in other people to the degree that they believe in themselves. And when people are arrogant, they don't believe in themselves. They're trying to convince you because they haven't ever convinced themselves. Arrogance is just a different um, level of insecurity. But mm. honoring yourself is that quiet confidence that comes out of you where well, you don't brag and you don't show off, but you also don't diminish yourself. And it's very reassuring. People really like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, again, using words here, and now that you got me really thinking about how to even phrase these things. So thank you for that. Um, 
there are some people who probably need to reinvent their relationship with money mm -hmm. during this period of time. And there are people who are operating from a place of fear, not knowing where cash is going to come from. So they're holding on to it. They're cutting back on what they may perceive as frivolous expenses. There are businesses that are canceling contracts that are thinking about, I'm not going to pay, you know, on, on my lease this month. I've got a retail store. All of, the, um, all, all of the natural byproducts of what happens when there is this sort of just, I mean, you talk about ebbs and flows in business. I mean, this, this is definitely one of those points in time that we're going to look back on here and um, it's going to have a monumental impact no matter how you slice it. So I, I'm just trying to figure out how you can use the languaging that you suggest people use coming from a place of I am enough, but also balancing that with the reality of what is going on. So do you have suggestions for how people can reinvent their relationship with money, either on a personal familial basis or on a, uh, and or on a, on a corporate basis? Yeah. So first of all, you learn half of what you learn in your entire life before you were even five years old. And if you have a parent that says things like, oh, I don't know where to find the money and we just can't get the money. I don't know where the money's coming from. The money is slipping through my fingers. You're teaching your child that money isn't a commodity that you earn in exchange for a service you provide that you're very good at. Money is something that shows up or not, that you find or not find, that you can get hold of or not, that appears or doesn't. And it's very confusing for children here. Money doesn't grow on trees. I can't find the money. I don't know where the money's coming from. A smarter parent or maybe a more informed parent would say, okay, I know you want this toy very badly. So let's talk about what you could do to earn this. And then, you know, my daughter wanted a toy and I didn't want to just give it to her because she had something that said, you have to earn that. So you're going to have to empty the dishwasher every night until you got 100 stars and she chipped so many cups and it was very frustrating but I knew I had to let her do that because I wanted her to understand you have a talent and you can monetize it and mm. we start with a dishwasher and then we move on to all kinds of other things that you can do and she now has her own business and she's pretty successful because she learned that everyone has a skill they're all unique and and you can do something with that. But we've got all these weird beliefs. It's greedy to ask for more. If I have more, somebody else will have less. I want, never get. Because our parents tell us silly things. I mean, I was a single parent in debt when I had my daughter. Which, you go, mommy, are we rich? I go, darling, we are so rich. We are amazingly wealthy. We're rich beyond our wildest dreams. We're affluent. I never actually talked about money, but I always made a believe that we had so much and that we could have whatever we wanted because I didn't want her to see that. And so we'd wait. I'd say, you know, we're so lucky. We've got a house, we've got heating, we've got a bed. And she grew up believing that, which was, I didn't want her to have that scarcity belief because so many of us come to scarcity. I haven't got enough money and I don't want to give that person a tip because and I don't want to pay for that. It's too expensive. Now, of course, I see that we're in a situation which is really scary and I could never minimize that. People are going to lose businesses and lose jobs. But again, that top 20% will always find employment. And the whole world has changed so much from 50 years ago. And they say, you work for Sony, you've got a job for life. If you work for Decca, you have a job for life. If you work for Blockbuster Video and all the things that we thought we knew, they've all gone. And now we understand, actually, you don't become successful because you went to college, you come from wealthy parents, you got a job for life. You become successful if you can find a talent and monetize it. And, you know, the, the people who've made things like Snapchat and Instagram and TikTok mm -hmm. have just tapped into something. The people who are making things that we never thought we'd buy, like ringtones and flavored water, so the world is very different. And even in these difficult times, we're beginning to say, actually, if I can find a job where I work from home, if I can find a job where I can sell a service, then maybe I'll just do it. Who would have thought that hairdressers are the most 
in-demand people. Hairdressers are indispensable to so many people. Hairdressers have, um, amazingly, the happiest jobs because everybody wants them, needs them, appreciates them. Plumbers come pretty high up in the list too. So some of the things we thought were meaningless careers. I mean, look how much now we're appreciating carers and frontline workers. Yeah. So there's a lot of good that's come out of this. But, you know, everything we buy is because of how it makes us feel, which is why we'd rather go to the hairdresser. Some of us will spend more money on that than other things. So if you can have any product, any service that makes people feel good, you know, it's weird that they were saying in Georgia, the first business to open a tattoo parlors, but people who want tattoos feel really good when they have a tattoo and they want a reminder of what they've been through. And a tattoo, you'd think it hurts, but people feel good having tattoos. Mm. So that's thing you have to remember, if you can sell something that makes people feel good about themselves, you'll always be in business, always. Yeah, yeah, point well taken. We are uh, we are flying through this um, in terms of time, and I just want to make sure, Mary, if you've got uh, another question, you have an opportunity to to ask Marissa and then uh, Rich, and then we'll probably end up having to to wrap this up here. So, Mary. Okay, so with the power of words, like we were talking about, how how much potential do you think the average person is leaving on the table? Oh, huge amount, because none of us are taught. You see, you have to understand your mind, and I can very quickly give you a few pointers. First of all, the mind only works in the present tense. It doesn't future pace. You can't say in five years I'll be a million, and next year I'll have that beach body, in two years I'm going to be wildly in love, because the mind only understands now. So the minute you add next year, next month, you've already lost your mind lost it so you've got to say now secondly the mind only responds to words that make a picture saying i'm not bad and even saying that expression every day in every way life is getting better that's what i call mush the mind likes powerful words that make a picture i have a gift a talent a skill i will always be employed people love my skill i i find customers who love me refer me use me use me again and again I'm always busy, always booked, because I have a natural ability to do what I do so perfectly. And I've got a great personality. My clients love me. I don't even need to advertise word about I've got more clients, more clients, more clients, more clients. So when you tell yourself words, make sure you are turning your mind on, exciting your mind, and your words must be relevant, up-to-date, exciting, powerful, and they must make a picture if the word doesn't make a picture like i feel okay there's i feel freaking phenomenal i'm i'm quite good me i am incredibly gifted and talented in this one area of it or sales or hairdressing you leave a lot on the table if you don't understand some rules of the mind it only works in the present tense it only responds to words that are descriptive powerful and exciting and if your affirmations don't have that you've left everything on the table it's like saying i'm not thinking about eating cake anymore i mean what does that even mean to not think about eating cake you have to think about eating cake but when you say actually i love blueberries i always prefer fruit i prefer mint tea that's just who i am sugar i, I look at it and i just see chemicals and when i'm in a lovely restaurant mint tea a little bowl of blueberries that thrills me excites me elates me empowers me what's happened is your mind is so clear oh you want the blueberries and the mint tea and you don't even like the cake when you go i love cake but i've got to resist it your mind has no idea what you're talking about because you said you love it, but you can't have it. You want it. It's like, I, I really want a great job. But I know I'll mess it up. Now you've, you've put your mind into a spin. So you've got to be very clear, present tense, positive, exciting. And of course, at first you feel like you're lying to your mind, but who cares? The mind learns by repetition. It starts off being what you do and then it becomes who you are. That's why when Marines are running through snow and mud and rain, they sing because the mind goes, oh, well, 
clearly love this stuff, we wouldn't be singing. But if you run through snow going, I hate this, I'm going to slip and break my leg in a minute, it's dangerous and I'm cold and my favorite show is on at home, you'll just turn around and go home. So you've got to think of your mind as like a Ferrari and you're the Ferrari driver and you now have some Ferrari driving skills, present tense, exciting words, positive, turn yourself on. And if you just remember that, you won't leave anything on the table ever. Mm. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, Rich? Yeah, that actually was a, a perfect segue towards my question. Um, we, we hear the phrase, thoughts lead to feelings, leads to actions, leads to results. And we've been talking about um, the words we use. And sometimes you'll feel like you're lying to yourself when you're saying it at first, whether it's potentially saying it faster or saying it more and not giving the negativity a chance to get in. Um, but the reason why I said it was a good segue is you mentioned like the military, the Marines. And I'm wondering how much the action element of just because it's such a now uh, kind of gamifying, I, 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 there's probably a better phrase, but almost um, a mental mind hack of doing something in the action of the way the millionaire would do it. Cause if you're feeling like that in the now, yeah. you know, is, is there something that you uh, can recommend to people around the actions they take while they're saying things? Well, millionaires, anyone who is widely successful only has five things they do differently to people who are not. And the first thing they do is they will do what they hate to get to where they want to go. So if you want to be a millionaire, they'll, they'll go and ask, oh, could you invest in my company? Could you invest in this? Could, could, I'd like a pay rise. And they, they, they do what they don't want to do. They pick up the phone and they pitch themselves, even though they know they may be rejected. So that's the first thing they do. The second thing is that successful people do what they don't want to do first. They always get it out of the way. The third thing is they take action every single day while they're on the way to success. They may just be five minutes of taking emails, watching one, YouTube, but they're always doing something to take them towards their goal. The fourth thing, which is amazing, and probably the most important, is that they just don't do rejection. They come back, of course, they get fired, rejected, dumped, humiliated. They hear no, but they come right back over and over and over again, you know, one direction, they didn't even win on X Fact. They could have known we didn't win. We weren't the favorites, but they said, no, we're, we're coming back. So back they came and they became, in terms of money, the most successful band in the whole world ever. I think they've been eclipsed now by that band from Korea. You know, Muhammad Ali said, I told myself I was the greatest and I didn't even know I was, but I said it anyway. And then something profound happened. I became the greatest, not in my eyes, but in the eyes of all the public who still believe he was practically never beaten. He was, but we don't even see that. And the fifth thing that very successful do is that they delay gratification. They don't go, okay, I've got all this important work, but let me have my favorite dinner, watch my favorite, do it later. They always do what they need to do. And then they take the dinner or the show as a reward. So if you can, do what you don't want to do first. Take action every single day, one thing in the direction of your goals. One of my clients said, when I learned that Michael Jordan even trained on Christmas Day, I trained on Christmas Day too, because I'm not going to do anything he doesn't do. He said, and then I felt so much like a winner. And then of course you delay gratification and you bounce back from rejection. You hear no and you come back and, some of my clients say, you know, I'm an action actor because so I was an overnight success, but the overnight was 12 freaking years long. I wasn't an overnight success. Many, many people look at and think, wow, you're so lucky, so talented, so gifted. It's taken them quite a long time to get there, but they kept going and kept going. So all of those habits, millionaires may be born with them. You may not but that really doesn't matter. What matters is you can adopt them, acquire them, make them your own because the mind learns by repetition. I still have to make myself do first what I don't really want to do. I'm still inclined to do the things I love first and the things I like least last, but I've learned that 
I got to do them first and then I feel like a winner early on and all day too. Mm. Yeah, thanks for that. I, um, I want to make sure we didn't miss one though, because you said there were five and you do what you hate first, take action every day. Do what you hate. Sorry. It's do what you hate and then do what you hate first. They're two separate things. Some people can't even do it. Ah. You hate, do what you hate first, take action every day. Got it. On your way to success in the direction of your goals. Don't come back from no, don't do no and delay gratification. They also, there's a sixth one too. They tell you how good they are. If you said to Gordon Ramsay, you're good, Chef, you're good. I'm freaking amazing. There's nobody better. If you said Muhammad Ali, are you good? You go, well, I'm the best in the world. And they don't say it with bravado because they don't go, I'm good at everything. They go, this is my gift. They will tell you what they are good at with such conviction that you actually believe them. And yet we say, well, I don't want to tell people I'm good in case they don't like me. We like people more. When they say, when when they can say, this is my gift, this is my area. Oh, I can do that because I'm good at it. I mean, if you get someone to fix your computer or you need your illness, you don't want to go. Well, I'm not really very good, you know. I mean, that sometimes it's all right. God forbid your doctor would say that. I'm the best in this area, in the in this field, in this country, probably in the world. And you couldn't be in better hands. And I don't go, oh, I'll have a different doctor. That one's Aaron. Go, oh, I want you. You're the best. You're the best teacher for my kid. You're the best chef. You're the best computer repair person. I'm coming to you. Mm. Yeah, love all that. You do a lot of interviews. And uh, I know you've sat down with, uh, you know, some world-renowned folks and some hugely popular shows. You've done a million of these and you'll continue to do them. And we really appreciate you spreading the the gospel in the way that you do. Last question for you then is what, what would be the one question that uh, everyone is remiss in asking you that for the love of God, you wish they, you wish they would ask you. Oh yeah, that's a good question. People don't, people never say to me, how can I do what you do? Cause they think it's some weird mystical talent I came out of the womb with. People never say, how can I, they always think that, you know, I think a lot of people who are good at their job, try to give off this well. You could never do what I do, but how can you do what I do? Well, you can. I mean, I teach people all over the world to do what I do, and some of them are probably even better than me now because it's such a great training. So you can do what I do, making people feel good about themselves, giving them real tools that are real, not just some airy-fairy meditate or chant or call in what you want, but the real practical ways of being happy. Because, you know, we all want to change the world, but you do that by changing people. There'd be no bullying. People wouldn't fight mm. over parking spaces or football teams if they felt enough. So maybe you could look at how you could do what I do, how you could change people easily and powerfully, and how you could start with very young children. And you can do that by joining the I'm Enough movement and investing in so many ways, free ways of getting I'm enough into your life where you can write it, print it. I mean, you might notice like all these bracelets say I'm enough. Mm -hmm. uh, you can go to rtt.com and find out how to do what I do. And if you go to marissapeer.com, we give away so many free audios, how to break love blocks, wealth blocks, health blocks, success blocks. So if you want free stuff, go to marissapeer.com. And if you want to do what I do, go to rtt.com. That's awesome. Marissa Peer, really appreciate you joining us here on Reinvention Radio. That's M-A-R-I-S-A-P-E-E-R. -E -E so marissapeer.com. Definitely check out all the fun stuff that Marissa's got going on. Congrats on uh, all of your success. Congrats on just being able to, to be enough and uh, to really help others become enough as well. So definitely check out everything that is going on with, uh, with that movement because Lord knows we need uh, a, a lot more enoughness in the world. So thank you. Thank you for that. All right. We're going to let you, uh, we're going to let you jump and, uh, and then Richie and I and Mary will, uh, we'll close things out here on this episode of reinvention radio. So thank you, Marissa. And we'll talk to you thank really you. soon. Well, thanks for inviting me. Thank you very much. See All you. right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
All right. So let's, uh, let's wrap this one up. I mean, lots of, uh, boy, lots of ground that we covered today and it's, it's definitely a conversation that uh, I'm glad we're, we're having here because it, it's just so uh, interesting to talk about perspective and just how we create uh, our, our realities. And, and I've been just watching some of the interviews. I've, I had a sense she was going to be talking about the, the power of words and, and how words really matter. What, uh, what, what hit home for you, Mary, as far as the, uh, the conversation goes? I guess the power of self-talk that I almost feel like I have to write things down and remind myself to say, I am enough, or I am a great writer or, you know, amazing podcast, whatever it might be. And getting over the stigma of, oh, I shouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. You know, like some people might think I'm bragging or boasting. So I like it. I'm, I think I'm going to actually get her book. Yeah. Well, she's got a few of them and uh, let, let me know which one you get and then you can give me the cliff notes. <laughs> Richie, what uh, final takeaways? Yeah. It, for some strange reason, it brought me back to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and mm. just thinking about for some people when they're just sitting there and they're thinking to themselves, well, I don't have enough for rent and I don't have enough for food and I don't have enough. Obviously we're talking about a certain group, right? Um, Just wonder if that's kind of why I asked about that action statement too. And it was great. Her reaction when she talked about millionaires and just the things they do and resiliency, but yeah, just, it really made me think about that in the back of my head. It is just, as you go up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think for some people, they're just so worried about shelter and food. You know, you don't eat, you don't live. Right. And so that was probably, probably the thing that was most interesting to me, just wondering how I could help some of those people that are in those places and actions, definitely a huge part because all this unemployment, um, there's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to want to go back to jobs that are going to leave jobs open for the people who really do want to get jobs. Yeah. Yeah. The point's well taken. And um, you know, it's funny, she was talking about the plumber and the importance of the plumbers and the frontline workers and this, that, and the other, Uh, our hot water heater went out. (laughs) So it was, uh, it was 25 years old. So we discovered and, um, and that, that bad boy had to be replaced. So we were uh, very happy to, to see a plumber. As a matter of fact, just because it, you know, it's one of those things, um, our stove or our oven decided to stop working as well. So uh, had to get that uh, part in and get, uh, get that replaced. So we got our appliance repair guy coming for that. So there, there you have it. But, uh, you know, like it's, it's really important to, uh, to, to, to look at the words that you're using and, you know, even the conversation around the, the hot water heater, right? To be able to happily and joyfully hand him the check, knowing that you, you know, I can hand him the check and just being appreciative of the fact that this is something that I can get taken care of and what is this going to do for him and for his company and the trickle down around that, you know, as opposed to just, you know, boiling water for the next God knows how long and just throwing it on the kids. Right. I mean, like that's <laughs> like, that's not an option. Right. So just that whole discussion around how do you feel about writing that check? I mean, we, we literally uh, this week just wrote the check for, uh, the hotel for the new media summit and the event that we did in, uh, in March and finally came to the final bill on, on all of that. And uh, that's, that was nearly $62,000, which is like, whoa. But at the same token, how amazing is it to, to be able to write? Uh, I don't know how, I mean, have you written a $62,000 check to someone? Have you, it's like, you know, you start thinking about it and it's like, just the fact that you can write that check and what, so what is the, the, the thinking 
behind the activities that you do on the daily. Uh, just a really important discussion here, and I'm glad I'm glad we had a chance to bring her on. So, you know, if we can help you uh, try to figure out really what what you should be doing, and and you're just you know in that place of uh, a furlough or, or being laid off, and and you're really trying to figure out what's next. Um, of course, we'd love for you to. Uh, check out What Is Your What? That is the book that I put on the New York Times list, uh, helping you to discover that one amazing thing you were born to do. So you can grab a free copy uh, of that at whatisyourwhat.com. Mary, I know you've got your book, Go With Your Gut. Um, where, where do people go to, to grab that? Because that might help people make decisions uh, about what they should, you know, what they should be doing, what their next best step is. What, what is the URL on that again? Go with your gut.net. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, Richie, any, any, anything else you want to throw in the mix here, free resource wise to, to help our, our lovely people? You know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm taking on, I'm, I'm putting up a site too, like you do with your, and I don't know if you're still doing it, but with the Calendly link or just a ah, for a 15 minute call. Pivotinplace.net. A yeah, so strategy I'm, session. Yes, it literally, unfortunately, if we were recording this on Friday, I wouldn't uh-huh. have the exact link, but um, you can just email me at richote at gmail.com right now. Just since I put it out there now and we'll set up. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. All right, my friends, we will leave it at that. So awesome having Marissa join us here today. And for Mary Goulet and Richie Ote and Kelly Pelker, I'm Steve Ulsher, and we will talk to you guys next time here on Reinvention Radio. Take care. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Ulsher, visit reinventionradio.com. 